Welcome back to the Paperless Feathers once again. I'm Justin, the co-host and podcast contributing editor and Carrie, undersecretary to the vice president of uh, podcast logistics, is here today joining us as well. Welcome, Carrie. I'm just a guy throwing rocks at Alexander Hamilton in Rhode Island. Huh? There you go. There you go. Thinking, speaking of throwing rocks, you know, I wanted to step off uh, right off the bat here with, with something that I was thinking about okay, the other day. Okay, step off. And, I, and, you know, I'm going to throw some more rocks at Mr. John Jay. Uh, I just I was thinking about how this thing is is uh, often referred to. I mean the the paperless uh, the Federalist Papers in general, and they go uh, you know by Madison, Hamilton, and Jay. And I really feel like history should have labeled this as you know the Federalist Papers by Madison and Hamilton with contributions or select contributions by John Jay. Because I just I don't know that he he's very, a special guest. Star. I just I just don't know that he yeah. gets gets should have quite the same level of. Uh, credit in the byline as as Madison and Hamilton. I don't know. I will thoughts? say that he is. <laughs> I look forward to J papers because they're a lot lighter. There's only one left, <laughs> and, and easier to do. They're like uh, a refreshing dessert or something after a you really. Well, I tell you what, that dessert is is out there ways, uh, Carrie, because. By the time we get around to 64, it's going to be two years from now. So you're hey, that's be... that's my light at the end of the tunnel. I'm looking that's forward your to some. Sweet, sweet John Jay Federalist paper, uh, papers in, in 2020. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. We'll keep we'll climbing. There. Keep on going. All right. So, uh, as is the tradition here on the uh, paperless Federalist carry, usually he's the summarizer as he's become, to, uh, as we refer to him. Uh, and so, Kerry, you want to take it I away am here? The summarizer. Well, I am going to respect tradition by first breaking tradition here. Oh, well, that's great. Uh, by <laughs> before getting into the summary, I'm going to. Do an over summary first, mm. just, to, just to connect some dots about where we've just been and where we're going. Okay. Um, so this is this is episode eighteen on paper eighteen, but uh, before I get to that, last on the last episode on in seventeen we discussed Federalist Paper seventeen, where it was just a generalized issue paper about <clears throat> um, federal versus uh, state power, and you know who. Who is the best place to uh, best place for citizens to lodge power, and who needs the most most support? And uh, you know, basically, federal versus state generally, which was an interesting conversation we had. Now we're starting a new trilogy: Federalist Papers eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. We are going back to Alexander Hamiltonian deep dives into countries, their history, and their politics. Uh, so today we're going to be doing 18, which is about um, ancient Greece. On uh, next episode, we're going to be getting into German principalities, and then the final week uh, in uh, with paper number 20, we're talking about one of the most important republics in history, the United Netherlands. Which uh, so. The next three, the next three episodes, you know, you might want to tell your friends you're busy. You might want to just stock up, prepare to spend some time in your home listening to these podcasts because it's going to be some exciting deep dives into history. Just tell people, look, unless you want to talk about ancient Greece, German principalities, or the Dutch Republic, don't even talk to me the next few weeks. Look, I know some people. Some people may feel like now that the NFL season is over, they've got nothing to do or to really gravitate to. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm glad we managed to muddle through the NFL because now we can get into, 
you know, discussing real exciting, ancient, stuff. Real exciting stuff, ancient Greece principalities, you know, and how that influenced, you know, some obscure papers written 200 plus years ago. Uh, the foundation of this country. I like how you're thinking, my friend. We're, NFL season's over. Now it's the real fun begins. Season now. That's right. That's season. right. That's right. So, so without further ado, <laughs> let me get down to business. Back into paper 18. So, as I promised, we're going to be talking about ancient Greece today. Um, we've touched on it a little bit uh, from an angle before in prior uh, prior papers talking about stealing of statues and uh, illicit re- relationships between ancient Greek leaders. But today we're talking about government structures. Um, See, I mean, the, excitement, just, the excitement already just comes through. You know, like. We're going to make it fun. <laughs> we're going to make it work. All right. We're going to make it work. So Hamlin's talking about ancient Greek democracy today and with a focus on proving why he is right about everything he has said thus far. As humble as Hamilton is, that's a surprising turn for him, but he does it. He just goes and claims it. So he starts out by briefly outlining outlining a period in Greek history where they are ruled by a group called the Amphiton. This uh, this word really gets me. Uh, the Amphictonic Caps Council. I'm just going to call them the Acrylic Council for okay. for my purposes today because I can pronounce that word. The uh, it's a, basically a group of Greek states, city-states, formed an alliance together, and each of these states had a single vote on this combined Greek council. So, of course, the point Hamilton's going for here is, hey, this is a period in time when the Greeks stopped just being isolated city-states. They're trying to get together and form a republic, sort of like we are now, in, in you know, forming the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So... He talks about this league having uh, broad powers of Greece, over Greece as a whole. You know, it, it could the uh, the council could wage war, decide arguments between member states, decide religious disputes, and you know he's listing all these powers. And they sound like they're really broad and they're very uh, meaningful, but then he pulls it back by saying, "Well, but even with all that on paper, they often had to exceed the authority that they were technically given uh, by the member states." by resorting to use of religious authority. This council, basically, um, they were based on on a c- control over a religious shrine. And so this council also was sort of like uh, in certain periods in history where you had a unified ruler of a state that was also a religious ruler. Uh, a good example would be the Church of England, you know, under uh, Brit- you know, Henry VIII and subsequent uh, British monarchs where the king was also the head of the church. So... Uh, that you know they could res- exert not only secular but religious authority. Um, in reality, this council lacked effective control over the member states. Um, their the way they tried to get their rules and regulations and their decrees enforced was by bureaucrats, league or council bureaucrats um, at the city state level. But these bureaucrats were often uh, controlled by the city-states and were more loyal to the individual city-states than to the council as a whole. Um, Also, something that undermined the authority of the uh, Amphictonic Council was that the most powerful city-states were often able to get uh, positions of power within the council and lord their power over the smaller members. 
uh, often by again whoever controlled the main religious site in Greek, Greece, the uh, shrine at Delphi, uh, tended to have the most power. And so there was a lot of resentment within the council of, of you know the powerful members uh, having a control over the less powerful members. Uh, even during wars, members of the League weren't fully united, and some of them worked with foreign invaders against the rest. And even uh, even when they had turncoats who would ally against the other Greek city-states, uh, they tried to punish them, but they couldn't because some members of the League would ally with them and stop them from being punished because they felt like, well, if this turncoat city-state got punished, it might hurt my city-state's power. Um but nonetheless, overall, the League was useful in uh, mutual military support and staving off some foreign invasions. Hamilton is thinking that uh, the Greek city-states should have learned a lesson and thought, oh, this thing seems to be working. We should ally ourselves even more closely. Instead, uh, the larger states like Athens and Sparta went right back to fighting each other for supremacy after they got done fighting off foreign invaders. Uh, and it eventually ruined both of them. Um, whenever there wasn't any foreign threat, the Greeks would constantly fighting each other uh, over really marginal issues. Um, one of the city-states, the Phoenicians, uh, pretty much ticked the others off by plowing up a bunch of land around the Temple of Apollo. Uh, so basically the sacred church for the entire country, they decided to turn into a farm to grow some crops. So it would be basically like the Italian army kicking the Pope out of the Vatican so they can grow some beans there instead around Vatican City. Hmm. So the other city-states aside, the Phoenicians, they got to pay a price. But the Phoenicians uh, get the strongest city-states, Athens and Sparta, to back them up by by the three of them together just saying, look, the Phoenicians aren't going to pay this fine. You know, How are you going to force us to pay? You and what army? You know, we're the strongest city-states. The answer to this was the army of Philip the Great, the Philip of Macedon. Mm-hmm. Um which is a pretty darn good army, but it was not. It was a. It was an outsider army. They're basically uh, they brought in the, they brought in this outsider army to uh, uh, enforce their will upon the Phoenicians and make them pay. And the downside of this, even though the Macedons were great for bringing the Phoenicians and the Spartans and the Athenians to heal, to heal, um, they also brought all the other Greek city states to heal. So Philip of Macedon ended up dominating Greece rather than the League itself. So uh, Hamilton then advances to another later Greek confederation the, the, um, that came along a bit later called the, the Achaean League. So members of this League were a lot more closely allied than the Council. Uh, uh, they, now things still turned out badly for them in the end, but Hamilton doesn't think they deserved their fate probably as much as the... Uh, Amphictyonic Council did. Um, the Achaean League members, they kept control over their own local issues, a little bit more like what Hamilton has been trying to talk about, things that were going to be under the, the Constitution. But the uh, League Senate had all the power over war and peace, the army, and making treaties. Um, now, all the member states in this League had the same laws and customs, you know, so a lot like John Jay's talked about America being with the unity of its rivers and hams. They, as Hamilton says, they shared the same units of measurement. They had the same money. And if any new members wanted to join, all of the existing members had to agree uh, 
But if any new members wanted to join, the possible new member had to agree to get rid of their old ways of doing things, their old laws, their own systems, and adopt the league method. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a, a great deal of knowledge of the league because they didn't last too long before they were wiped out by the Roman Empire. They last about 100 years. Um, but Hamilton believes that if we knew a lot more about them, they'd be a great model for the United States in seventeen in the late 1780s. Hmm. Uh, but regardless of everything else, Hamilton says the league government was really well known for the fact that the national government was able to moderate the city governments with the power of the league senate. They had a lot more po- overall power than the uh, Amphictonic Council. Um, still, Hamilton acknowledges that the league wasn't entirely perfect because they didn't that last that long. Um, once they got pressure from the, the Roman Empire. Despite how great Hamilton says this league was, they basically ended up com- committing the same basic mistakes as the Amphictonic Council. They tried to defend themselves from the Macedons, the Macedonians. You know, so you know, Philip of Macedon takes over all these other Greek city-states. This Achaean League you know, is trying to fend him off and defend themselves uh, you know, through their own unity. But they weren't strong enough, so they thought, well... Maybe what we'll do is we'll invite the Romans to help, uh, you know, another rival power who don't like the Macedonians to ally with us and beat back the Macedonians, and everybody will win. So, in in a, in, some, in a move that comes as no particular surprise, considering what we just heard, mm-hmm. the Romans beat the Macedonians uh, for the Achaean League, but then the Romans end up taking over uh, the Achaean League themselves, mm-hmm. uh, much like the fate of the Amphitonic Council before them. So, in the end, as he's wrapping the paper, uh, Hamlin says, okay, I admit, I'm doing a huge info dump here on the Greek, on Greek history, but I think it's worth it because it teaches some useful lessons about federalism and how great the Achaean League is, and we should really try to be as much like them as possible. And one final thing I would say is I know that technically, as you read the title as you, uh, you know, the uh, paper 18 is credited to Hamilton and Madison, technically written by both of them, but this this paper just comes off very strongly as Hamiltonian to me. This is a very Hamiltonian deep dive. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and it uh, has a lot of his rec- rhetorical flourishes in my mind of, uh, I could just picture him giving me a wink and a nudge as I go from paragraph to paragraph of, hey, see, we should do it like this. Shows how I'm right, right? <laughs> so, yeah, this is... Uh, a this wink is, and a nudge. Yeah, this is part one of three. Part one of Hamilton's three, three-part three mic drop moment, I think. That's how I would put it uh, put it down as a, a general description. All right. Well, I think it's... Uh, I know normally I like to go things, through things in a chronological fashion through the paper, but I'm going to start at the end because... Uh, and That's the, very, fine. the very last sentence is really where Hamilton has his thesis, and it seems buried uh, there. Uh, and he states, yeah. you know, in emphatic, he, he, you know, the lessons he says that you can learn from Greece, um, quote, emphatically illustrates the tendency of federal body, bodies rather to anarchy among the members than to tyranny in the head. Um, mm-hmm. And so what he's saying that, you know, clearly just when you have these loose federations of states, they will more often than not, uh, history tells us, devolve into, you know, anarchy and, and warring mm-hmm. amongst 
either going and engaging in wars amongst other nations or warring and backstabbing amongst each other, you know, themselves, because they're not closely bound. They're not really, you know, they're a group, they're a pairing of, of like-minded states, but they're not really together um, mm-hmm. in one real true fashion. And, you know, just from a writing critical analysis perspective, again, you know, when I, when I write my uh, briefs um, on appeal, I always feel that it's a good strategy to whatever section you're starting. Um, if there's one particular assignment error that you're addressing, you know, start off by saying what your thesis is right at the bat, and you yeah. conclude with the thesis as well. You bookend things, is you know, and say, "Hey, we're right because we're we're right," is you know, and they're wrong because of X, Y, you know, in summation yeah. form. And then you get into the details, and then you get into everything else, and in the end, you say, "Hey, you know," and for all those reasons, again, don't forget we're right. And I mean, that's usually what it, you know, know, I'm, I'm dumbing it down. Well, I mean, just no. I mean, I, I feel like his thesis that, you know, federations are, you know, usually unless they are tied together tightly uh, or certainly more uh, tighter than what the Articles of Confederation has them tied, uh, will devolve into anarchy. I mean, I think he concludes with that. And he basically says, hey, for all those reasons I just gave you, you know, I'm right. Or the Federalists, yeah. you know, or myself and, you know, Madison and Jay sort of are, are right. <laughs> yeah. And but he doesn't lead with that. You know, you got to read through, you know, the whole thing to get yeah. to his real point. And I just from a critical writing standpoint, um, you know, I I just I got to throw some shade his way and suggest that, you know, I agree with you, you there. Know, I feel I feel like this, <laughs> I, I almost feel like this article, this paper was written while he was like reading a Wikipedia entry about ancient <laughs> Greece. He's like, oh, the uh, Amphitheater Council? Okay, let me say what I think about them. Oh, wait, Akia League next? Oh, here's what I think about them. I agree that you it's uh, his organization yeah. leaves a little bit to be desired. Yeah, I mean, you really got to be interested in this or in the argument in general or what's going on to want to read through the seven or eight pages that this thing is, you know, to get to his point. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know how many people have. Um, you know, that's you know. something I was thinking about a lot when I was reading through this paper and the two that follow is mm-hmm. I think w- one of the reasons that the Federalist Papers haven't been more broadly read is th- the periods in history and the examples he chooses to give, um, especially the ones that were more modern to his time, Mm-hmm. Are ones that, you know, m- most people, even educated people, just don't have the foundation knowledge to even figure out is he right or is he wrong. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm my first, you know, on your first read through of this, you're like, I don't know anything about the, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You don't uh, have a hammerlock on the Amphionic Council and the Anakin League. I mean, come on, Carrie. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I have to admit, I've not given a lot of thought to the, the Achaeans, uh, the Achaeans. Just the other day, I was, I was tell, telling my son, hey, you know, the Achaean League. <laughs> I'm messing around. So, all right. So, but basically. It's like, yeah. And especially because when I, and again, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but. Oh, go ahead. You know, the, the next two that we're going to deal with, the United Netherlands and the German principalities, mm-hmm. he writes about those two, uh, those two countries mm-hmm. at, in a contemporary fashion, like what they are doing when he is writing the papers. Mm-hmm. Which it reminds me a lot of how he was writing about France. Um, all three of those, you know, France, Germany, United Netherlands, all there's a reason that there's not a lot of uh, 
historical discussion of those three time periods with those three countries is just by historical coincidence, he was writing at a time where not just a few years after that, everything's going to be completely different in all three of those countries. And so like, he's just sort of spending a lot, you know, spilling a lot of ink talking about sort of a historical wind down denouement period in each of these three countries Mm -hmm. where each each of the three of them, something much more exciting and completely different happened not long after he's writing it. All right. So, well, let's, for the sake of sort of staying on general structure and not with one paper at a time. Um, let's, let's just kind of, I don't want to say blow through it, but let's, let's get through this. I mean, ultimately Federalist 18, the main thesis here, again, Hamilton saying we, if we're going to survive as a nation, we got to be tied together tightly uh, or tighter than what the Articles of Confederation do. Uh, do. Um, and, and as a result, and in support of that thesis, you know, he, uh, he gives us these two examples from, from the Greek, uh, from the Greeks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so let's just kind of just maybe touch get through a little more in depth than, than maybe what he did in the summary, uh, to kind of go through some of the finer points he makes. But I mean, really, if I had to nutshell it in a sentence or two, that's his thesis and here are his examples to support it. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't know enough about Greek history to say that he is wrong in either one of these examples. So I'm going to say for the sake of argument, that I, I think he's you probably just, accurate in his rendering of history, but you know. I think you could, you could take it almost on face value and just yeah. argue within the argue taking the givens he's laid out. Yeah. I think even staying within what he says to be true and assuming that for the sake of argument, mm-hmm. he has a muddled point in my mind. He has a muddled uh, persuasiveness in this paper because he seems to be, almost in a glacier-like fashion, advancing and then pulling back. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, Amphicti- the uh, Amphictyonic Council, that seems to support him. Like, okay, you got this council, it was a loose confederacy, much more like the Articles of Confederation government, and, of course, as is inevitable, they fell apart. Yeah. And so, okay, point to Hamilton, point to Madison. Good job, you made a persuasive point. But then he seems to undercut it with the Zakian League, where he seems to think they're the same greatest things since sliced bread. They are, are all homogenous and have so much in common, just like the J image of America. They seem to have a much better, I mean, on the face of it, if you didn't know how it turns out, you're like, oh, okay, these guys are going to get it right. And then in the end, they don't, let, they don't even do as well as the, as the, uh, the council, the Amphictyonic Council. They only hang around a hundred years, and they make the exact same stupid mistake. Well, see, that's there you go. So, so let's take a step back. You know, I said, uh, let's assume his his factual rendition is is accurate. Are these do these examples really support his his thesis, which is that if you have a loose federation, you're you're bound to be doomed? Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, ultimately, he gives us two examples that. Uh, are examples where the the federation failed really it seemed like because some member or members reached to outside powers and drew them in you know for into military support in, into the and conflict credit where credits do that and, does harken back to the points he's made earlier they the, oh they yeah. had made earlier yeah. about hey we're gonna end up destroying each other by calling in forward powers okay. if we don't Unite more closely, but shouldn't shouldn't these examples have been used to support that point, right? Which is which is that 
you know, the smaller, weaker uh, states in order to rebuff the larger states will we'll bring in foreign powers and bring Britain back in. We'll bring France back in or Spain and we'll have yeah. Europe doing their battlefield all throughout, you know, America. Like it seems like those, these examples here would have fit better in that paper. But I mean, structurally speaking, he's telling us that loose federations will fail on their face per se. Um, and that we need as a nation to dump the articles of confederation and adopt the constitution, you know, as, as suggested, because, because it is, and here are my best two examples of why I think per se or Hamilton saying this, you know, here are the best two examples as to why per se they're going to fail. And he gives us two examples that failed, not because of their, that they, you know, went into financial ruin because they couldn't collect enough taxes to stay afloat because, you know, it was un- unworkable as a, mm-hmm. as an entity in and of itself. They failed both of these examples because they brought in outside powers. Now, granted, yeah. maybe that's a fatal flaw and, you know, but, I would have liked to have seen an example here of a federation that he could have pointed to in history that said, here's one that was isolated, much like America is at the time. I agree. And, and, you know, uh, uh, failed internally due to internal conflict or one state overtaking other ones and and trying to, you know, just wipe out everybody else or, 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 you know, or structure. That's why I said I think it's a Hamilton thing is because in classic Hamilton fashion, from what we've seen in prior papers, he starts on a point, but then he just gets. I feel like he gets so enraptured with just like going, d- doing a deep dive into the history, and just wanting to become a history professor talking about <laughs> these countries. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll get back to that point later. I really want to talk about the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of the Akian League, though. It's and he, he loses his point in doing it. You know, and so I guess, I mean. They're good examples in the sense that they provide us two examples of feder- uh, ancient Greek federations that that were loosely aligned and ultimately failed. All right, but yeah. you know, I mean, they didn't fail in and over their own accord. Just, I mean, they failed because they brought in outside influence. I mean, unless you believe that that's a per se outcome that every single time you have loose federation, you're going to bring in outside military force. And and the, everyone's doomed to fail because of that, which I don't know that yeah. history supports that. I think you sh- should have maybe provided us with a different example, uh, one that was more closely aligned factually with uh, America at the time of the Articles of Confederation than than these two. And so I guess that's and my. I think with the next two papers, it's going to do that. Okay, I feel, but you know how Hamilton and and uh, Hamilton more than Madison. You know how they they tend to be from what we've seen so far. I feel like they have to lay down. A story about Greek or Roman history just as a foundation to feel like they're legitimate. Or, Unless or, there's a yeah. Greek or, or Roman callback <laughs> to establish legitimacy. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then you're just you're you're, you're just taught you're just smacking your lips together and mm-hmm. not really saying anything. Unless you got some uh, ancient history cred, and so maybe that's why they have to start out with ancient Greece. Yeah, that's why they I have mean, to. I, I feel like in the scope of all the Federalist Papers, these two would have worked out as great examples earlier when he talked about why, you know, how the smaller states would be prone to bring in foreign powers and to be perpetual war. And all. I mean, that that's what these examples support is his earlier – their earlier arguments. I just – I don't – You know I'm what? Not in love when with you mentioned that – You know, as, well, as examples of That really makes paper. me – I agree with you, and I think that uh, yeah. something that would have made the, the papers as a whole more persuasive as well as – much easier for people generally and us specifically <laughs> to deal with is if when they were writing each one, they would have had more structure and with the idea yeah. of 
hey, this point here, see where I talked about this sort of thing in paper X, paragraph yeah. four. Yeah. This is what I was talking about right here. More yeah. of purposeful interconnectedness. Yeah. Rather than is like, I don't, I mean, if I was, uh, you know, to really get your goat here, I'm going to suggest that perhaps yeah. the Fairless papers uh, are are an earlier version of of the, the, the Star Wars universe, where where you have many different <laughs> authors trying to tell the same tale that's resulting in, <laughs> in a discombobulated story. <laughs> you know, I will say. There's a common thread there, and uh, I'm starting to feel like uh, Hamilton and Madison are starting to just tell the same story over and over again. They're no J.K. Rowling. I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> no comments. Um, if I was an anti-Federalist, though, if I was the Federalist farmer and I was attacking this, mm-hmm. one of the angles I would take is, look, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, you're talking about these oh, yeah. member states. Yeah. Going against each other and you know making outside alliances and war, and destroying the whole by betraying them, you know with you know separate negotiations. Mm-hmm. The one thing that the Articles of Confederation is already very strong about is that only the federal government can make yeah. alliances and you know do you know form an army, etc. That's where the, we're strongest at. This whole thing. Uh, this whole constitution idea that you're trying to get us all jazzed up about, most of the places it strengthens things is is with commerce and taxation and stuff. You know, this doesn't support this at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're you're giving us a red herring here, or a you know, of saying, oh, if we don't strengthen the federal government, everyone's going to be allying with foreign powers against each other. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not in the Articles of Federation. They don't have mm-hmm. that power. Another critique, what an anti-federalist might say, is that you know who's and just from a writing perspective, who who who's his audience here? You know, like I mean, the average American at this point is a subsistence farmer. What does he care about? You know, or what does he or she care about these like ancient you know federalist things? You know, and 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 the structures of government. I mean, government just needs to work well enough so that they can farm their land and not have perpetual war all the time, right? I mean, that's, I mean, what... Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, and and he's talking about things that are so far removed from what the experience is of the average American at the time. Like, I I, I mean, who's he talking to? Because I don't feel like he's talking to... The, the average person that might be picking up the newspaper to read it. He's newspaper to two to follow. I feel like he's got, he's he's talking only to people like himself. Okay. Like, them, like Hamilton and Madison are talking to only to people like themselves. Yeah. People who are educated, their equivalent of, you know, white collar mm-hmm. uh, gentlemen of the time, you know, your lawyers, your doctors, you know, wealthy merchants. Mm-hmm. No one beyond them was going to read these three or, or, or understand it very well. Even mm-hmm. the more contemporary to them, uh, discussions of German principalities in the United Netherlands. There's not a 24-hour news network back then. I I, I agree, agree with your point that a uh, tobacco farmer in Virginia. Well, no, that's a bad example. A uh, wheat <laughs> farmer in Pennsylvania is not necessarily going to be sitting coming home every day and getting his copy of uh, the affairs of German principalities and uh, the United yeah. Republic. I guess I'm just. Doing. I'm in the mood to throw rocks today, so I'm going to throw another one. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I, maybe I should start trying to catch these rocks. All right. I'm just, I don't know. I'm all fired up. But um, there's a, a section here. The paragraph that begins, uh, as a weak government, when not at war, is ever agitated by internal dissension. So these never fail to bring on fresh calamities from abroad. And he, he goes on to talk about uh, the Phoenicians, uh, you know, where they plowed up the consecrated ground around the Temple of Apollo. 
And the Amphiotic Council then, you know, according to the superstition of the age. Now, it imposed the fine on the sacrilegious offenders. So, now, the way I read that, it sounds as though he's saying that their religion was a superstition. Well, I mean, from Hamilton's perspective, yes. I mean, okay, our but, forefathers did not great worship Zeus or Thor or anything. I, I understand that. But my, my point... I just was, want to make sure you understood that. No, 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 I do. <laughs> the point that I'm going to make, though, is, right. is is a critique of us. We're, we're, you know, Hamilton's got the big stage play. Everyone's, oh, Hamilton is so great, right? You know, yeah. and, and he's done many great things, and I'm not I'm not trying to discredit any of his positive accomplishments. But if we're going to, as a society, elevate certain people to, you know, in perpetuity and, and praise yeah. them, I think it's important that we also call them out where maybe they fell short and, and maybe ta- see where they fell short of what our ideal should be and, and, you know, maybe say, hey, look, they weren't 100% great. You know, they yep. were 95% great. And, you know, to the extent that that Hamilton lacked the ability to, uh, you know, consider that maybe someone of a different faith, you know, <laughs> you know, and recognize yep. it as a religion as opposed to calling a superstition, I, you know. I think you know, that the – I agree with you, but you know, I will say that I think that the, for, the foibles and eccentricities of the Founding Fathers are one of those things that makes them interesting. And I have a fondness for Hamilton, even as I mock him, in that you can tell Hamilton is a guy who really thinks he's a great guy. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he is in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, he, but he is, he is about 80 to 90% as great as he thinks he is. It's that yeah. last 10 to 20% that gets him into trouble. Yeah. Uh, and it, that did get him in trouble during his life, you know, because sometimes he ran afoul of some people because – he rubbed them the wrong way uh, as being mm-hmm. somewhat uh, overly headstrong and overconfident, etc. So I wanted to see what your thought was uh, on another section here. Uh, going okay. a little further, paragraph that starts, uh, such were the consequences of uh, the fallacious principle on which um, this uh, interesting establishment was founded. And he writes, you know, had Greece, says a judicious observer on her fate, been united by a stricter confederation, da 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 now, again, I'm going to be getting nitpicky here, and I'm not talking about substance. I'm talking about form. But who's this judicious observer of Greece's fate that he's referencing? Like, I, That's Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton, is the, Hamilton okay. himself is So he's his own observer. reference. <laughs> just yes. wanna, okay, that's what I wanted to see if we Hamilton read it the same way. Guy, says, you know, you know, I'm going to quote, to quote a great man, and then he will quote himself. He's that guy. That's what, okay. And you know what? Yeah. Again, 89% time, it's a great quote. Yeah. It just yeah. last 10 to 20. That's what I just read that. I'm like, really? Is that what we're but doing? Like, yeah. Hamilton's up front that he's the one who's doing the judging. He never he never okay. hides it. He never he never puts on false modesty. He thinks that he's he's suited for the job, and most of the time he probably is. But um he, it's interesting because he you can tell he feels like he, he has the right to do the judging. Mm-hmm. Uh, here and in many Well, papers. clearly because he's got such a hammer lock on on ancient Greek and Roman city states that he's, uh, <laughs> so, he anyways, they, they are his I go-to mean, reference. He has established way, his knowledge. Of to move on to the German principalities <laughs> and the United Dutch, because at least it's a little bit more fresh than yeah. uh, the Romans and the Greeks. And, you know, you know, he, the Romans and the Greeks, uh, 
you know, it's just so disconnected from our modern experience that it's really hard to get into their shoes sometimes. You know, they are just, you know, as a as a group of, you know, in history, they are they do sort of come across as just like statues and, uh, you know, uh, two-dimensional cardboard cutouts, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. you know, to so, take a break from throwing rocks at Hamilton, okay. <laughs> I will say that he, he has some strong points in that, you well, know, know, in his... Yeah, go ahead. And I mean, I know you're loving his Akian League and you know Rivers and Hams and everybody's getting together and it's all homogenous. I always love Rivers and Hams, huh? I always love the Rivers and Hams. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he has a point. And I think that in prior papers they were clear. They're not, you know, they they understand the Federalists understand that the Articles of Confederation explicitly prevent uh, states from negotiating with foreign powers. But I think they were also clear when they laid out the hypothetical. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not like if they vote down the Constitution, all of a sudden all these states are going to run out and find a bunch of foreign allies and start shooting each other right away. I think they were clear in saying, you know, even though the Articles of Confederation bans it, over time things are going to gradually devolve into that sort of situation. And Mm -hmm. in the context of this paper with these two Greek councils, the Council and the League, it happens sort of the same way, you know. Even yeah. even the shorter-lived Achaean League lasted a hundred years before, you know, they got destroyed by, you know, allying you know, bringing in foreign powers. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I think that Hamilton and and uh, Madison and even Jay would say, "Look, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but sooner or later, someone's going, one of the states is going to get the bright idea to bring in France, to bring in England, and mm-hmm. bring in Spain, and that's the beginning of the end." And there's still a point there. I, I think he could have made it more sharply, but I think there's still a point there. Yeah, and I, so I guess that was my earlier criticism, was what's his point in this paper? Because when he ends it, it's it almost feels like loose confederations are destined to fail, period. Not loose confederations are destined to fail because they will ultimately bring in a foreign power to work one state against the other, period. And so yeah. if it's the latter point, the longer one that I just made, then these examples are spectacular. But, yeah. you know, I felt like he was trying to make a broader point uh, by saying, hey, they're just destined to fail per se. Yeah. And if that's the case, give me another example. Give me an example where, you or know. Or honestly, it, drop it an example. Huh? Drop the Akian League. Yeah. You have a better. You have that's a better, what I meant. You're more persuasive without that counterexample. Get rid of the Akian League and bring in example X about some democracy somewhere that failed. Because yeah. they were loose confederation of states, mm-hmm. they were isolated from the majority of the world, and you know just could not get along, or just d- fell to warring over taxes and you yeah. know measurements and weights and in 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 legislative arguments. Like it, it, that would be really persuasive for what I think his you know ultimate point is, which is loose confederations are going to fail, period, and and yeah. they're going to result in anarchy because they're not tied together, and that's why you need to tie be tied together under the constitution. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, you know, you know, he, he used the references he had. I don't know. Maybe just, there wasn't a good one that he could come up with. I, I don't know that I have one. I just, Someone had just loaned you know. him a book about ancient Greece. And he's like, <laughs> well, I got to use this for something. Achean league. I I'm ready. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, uh, you know, getting back a smidge into the paper here, you know, he references the Achean league and says, Hey, look, you know, they were, they were tied together closer. And, and that, 
uh, you know, because there was a, the states were tempered by this general authority and laws of the Confederacy. Uh, now, you made a point earlier, maybe you could tie it together again, where, you know, he previously referenced the barons in, in, in um, England, right? In an earlier paper, was it the last paper? Yeah, the local and, lords, the know, lower lords have more of a connection to the people than the king. And therefore, they were some ways more powerful than the king, right? And yeah. The king had a hard time and he, and trying to get those local lords you know, in line and here again with this Akin League, you know, the, the local governors are, I don't know, that's not the right word. Um, uh, the cities retain their own sort of retain their own municipal jurisdiction. Uh, and so that the, the league had to contend with these local politicians, um, and try to persuade them, it seems like. And so, um, He's again reaching out and and making that tying it into it sounds like how th- how he views things to be under the Articles of Confederation that you know uh, the federal government really is not going to be this this overbearing power. Uh, it's because it's going to have to contend with the local governments. Um, is that yeah. is that the am I reading what he's saying correctly? See, he didn't approach it head on. I didn't feel. I think he made. The, I I sort of agree that he made that point of yeah these local officials were still pretty powerful despite the, you know, mm-hmm. the power on paper of the federal government. Um, but I did, this is one area where I didn't feel like he didn't explicitly call back as much to that prior paper, to paper uh, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, but that's, that's the threat. That's why he keeps mentioning this, 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 yes, you have a federal power, but there's a local authorities on the ground that the federal is going to have to contend with. And and he's he's mentioning it about England. He's mentioning it again here. Why exactly, in your estimation? I'm not sure. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I I I got a much stronger message from, and I'm surprised. I felt I'm surprised yeah. he didn't reference it more explicitly about what he hints on uh, regarding the resentments between the the big states, the big city states, and the small ones, because mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a much more relevant point to the constitution versus the articles of confederation of Mm -hmm. you had these large and powerful city states like your Athens and your Sparta who seemed to carry a lot of the weight of, you know, founding, you know, they carried the weight of the army and, you know, uh, raising funds for projects, et cetera. And all the smaller, weaker states didn't really pay much in, or they were delinquent in their payments. And, from that, the smaller, the larger, more powerful states basically extorted them of, you know, saying that, look, since we pay for everything, you're pretty much going to vote as we want you to vote and do what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of tagged as being a dangerous thing because that was seen to be one of the things that undercut the unity of that government mm-hmm. is the fact that there was this small versus large, weak versus powerful resentment. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that would have been a great opportunity for Hamilton to call out, look how smart and, and clever the Constitution is. This is a very difficult needle to thread between, you know, giving everyone equal voice, you know, not mattering if they're powerful or weak, and then have the resentment of the uh, uh, on both sides based on, you know, the powerful feeling like the weak shouldn't have as much of a voice and the weak resenting um how the you know the powerful states seem much more entitled, and then on the other side, it's just raw pure populism based on raw power alone. And I think that Hamilton could have you said, "Look, 
we've done this thing to try to really balance that, and that's something that we is a new innovation for us, these two houses of government and balancing out those interests. And he didn't really take that opportunity. I was surprised. I agree. Um, I guess the point I was making there with his reference to the, to how the, 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 the strong, seemingly strong federal power is sort of undercut by these either local barons in the, in the sense of the England and the king or, or here with these local officials versus the Akin League. I feel like he's using those examples to give, um, you know, in support of his, his general thesis, which is when he wants it to be his thesis, let's keep that in mind too. Cause I mean, we, we I've criticized him before for talking out both sides of their mouth with, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, Hey, the States are terrible. They're falling apart versus, Hey, the States are these wonderful functioning bodies that will protect you from this overarching federal power. And they're and, completely plastic or whatever he wants. Yeah, to be in a given so, week. But in this sense, with these examples, I feel like he's using these examples as basis in history where he can say, look, you know, the local governments uh, really re- re- rebuke and push back on, you know, the federal powers. Therefore, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about about your life being upended and overrun by this federal power once it's consolidated mm-hmm. in a stronger fashion under the new Constitution. Um, and, and that's, I, I guess, guess I see you, that. Know, you know, I guess that's my take on why he's on why he's 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 bringing up these. You know, at least two papers in Rona, I think, where he's mentioned these uh, these examples of that, that seem to be sort of throwaway. But um, I don't know. I just kind of was wondering what your thoughts were. But um, I, I can agree with that. I think though that what detracted for, from that example mm-hmm. for me is the fact that it's not exactly clear from the paper alone, and I couldn't really find it by looking outside the paper mm-hmm. exactly the details of how. These oh. local officials were appointed, how they were yeah. paid, were they always from the local community? Because I feel like it's one of those things where you're doing a scientific experiment where you've got control for variables and there's so many variables there. Yeah. It's hard for me to draw conclusions. I mean, I guess at a really high level, I could say, okay, yeah, here's an example in history where the locals were yeah. able to push back at the, and, fed- the, the, the general national government, but... You know, I feel like there's got to be better examples. I mean, I'm already (laughs) not very enthusiastic about this ancient Greek history in the first place. Yeah. But, like, digging that deep down in the weeds to see how, like, their local minor officials were appointed, I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah. Uh, One of the questions I wanted to get, I I mean, I feel like this paper – unlike some of the others, doesn't really bear for so much of a chronological or a read-through point-by-point analysis as some of the ones we've covered. Yeah. For me, I, I took it much more as an undivided, unified whole and made some general points about it. One of the general uh, points and issues I had with it was, compared to some of the other papers, and thinking about when this was written and where we are now, are there really points? Is there a lot in this paper that really relates to us in the modern day? Because again, there's there's ones that are cited in you know in in the historical and political discussions a lot nowadays. Mm-hmm. Reading through this, and I felt like there's a reason that this is not one of them. I felt like it didn't really. There, as I was reading this one, I didn't think very much as I was going through. Like, oh yeah, this is this is like something that's really going on right now. I need to go talk to some people and. To share how 
Hamlin thought about this pressing event we're going through right now. I feel like this is one of those papers that history sort of left behind. Well, you could, if if the, your viewpoint is that uh, the United States needs to withdraw and to not encourage or entangle itself so much, you might be able to use this paper in support of that argument. Um, you know, now I mean, See, I didn't take it that way. You know, I didn't take that as what I, that was my takeaway from this paper. I didn't think this one was about isolationism versus world involvement. Yeah. I felt that like this one was a paper about how much power you're going to consolidate at the center and how much you're going to leave scattered about. Yeah. And how much you're going to make an effort to match up what is unification of power mm-hmm. on paper versus in reality. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I was just answering your question with a thought that it was off the top of my head and which was, yeah. is does the paper have any value today? And, and while, you know, the argument about strong federal government versus weak federal government you know, in the sense of constitution versus articles of confederation obviously was decided. Mm. So like, that's no longer an argument. Right. Um, but does the paper have any continuing value? You know, if you want to make an argument for isolationism, could you cite to these examples that, you know, uh, of these uh, Greek uh, societies that uh, Hamilton does for a different purpose. I'm not saying Hamilton used it for the isolation purpose in this paper, but just so yeah. you could take those examples out of this paper and and use it as a basis. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, All right, just a thought I had. So, um, I guess I, I maybe it's just my dissatisfaction of what I guess uh, I'm being my own Hamilton here. I'm the only fit judge what this should be. <laughs> There's a difference in this paper between what I wanted it to be and what it was. Okay, what would you like it to have been? I guess I would have liked it to have been focused on the troubles that happen when there's a gap between what the rules are or what the structure of government is on a piece of paper and then what they actually are when the rubber hits the road uh, and, you know, when how it's practiced in the real world. Because it seems like the unifying factor between these two Greek, you know, these two Greek alliances was uh, that on paper, they seem to be fine. There was so much power consolidated the central government on paper, but out in everyday life, not so much. Where where's that reference to things looking good on paper? I can't I can't find it in this paper in this in this paper. I know I know you, you mentioned well, it. I think it was for me reading between the lines. No no no. I feel like there's an actual like like this is what's written down, but this is what actually paragraph comes. three. Paragraph three. Read? Paragraph three, in theory and upon paper, ah, there we this go. apparatus of power seems an- amply sufficient for general purposes. There we go. See, and I, then, didn't, I didn't highlight it. I've been looking the, for it because I <laughs> the lead sentence in paragraph four, yeah. very different, very different, nevertheless, was the experiment Experimenting, from the theory. I, I highlighted that, but that's what I was. And I think that would speak, yeah. and maybe I just wanted to make it more contemporary because that point would speak powerfully to some to things we're experiencing now in the modern age in America, which is. You know, there are norms, there are rules that aren't quite laws. You know, there's ways that people do things mm-hmm. that everyone seems to rely on. But then, against the determines opposition or political action, do the norms stand up? Um, do the traditional you know, ways of doing things stand up? And, 
you know, right now the tentative answer we're getting is a mixed mixed result. Well, in any society, I mean, sociology will teach you basic sociology one on one class will teach you that you know norms are, you know, what is a norm, right? Well, a norm mm-hmm. is a convention that's that's just sort of a, all sort of agreed upon by a particular population. But when the yeah. the makeup of that population changes, and if it changes enough, then that something will cease to be a norm, or you know, exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you yeah. know. Um, Maybe I just wanted to speak more strongly to something where, you know, I think we're seeing right now more in the United States versus, you know, I guess it's so hard. It's so distant from my imagining that even the two most distant poles of the American states would consider calling in a foreign power to really help them about anything that I think, well, you know, this is sort of not a highly relevant paper for me to see. I I mean, modern age. I feel like we call in foreign powers all the time. Like, I mean, you know, our most recent wars have been fought in unison with allies and, and you know, now not internally, right? Okay. That's but, my point. You internally. know, like, that's but, what this paper is all about yeah. is member states of an alliance. Yes. Going outside that alliance to get help from outsiders. Well, and what I about California imagine. recently? Were they, uh, California recently, what did they say? They went and ratified the Paris Accord, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And they said, hey, you know, so what if the federal government's not going to do this? We're going to do it ourselves. Maybe a year from now, we're going to come know? back to this paper and say, you know what? We were wrong. <laughs> this was before the, the California-Texas wars. <laughs> we didn't know then what it was going to be. Yeah. But how young and naive we were. The prophetic nature of Mr. Hamilton. But um, for the time being, for the time being, I don't see this as one of the more, high, the more relevant papers. Okay, well, I will... I will make it one more semi-modern reference here. Uh, in in my you oh, know, well. or very early on in the in our efforts, if anybody's just now tuning in, I had posited a theory about um, we were we were we were talking about the Articles of Convention. And I asked you if like uh, Articles of Confederation. I asked you if like what what Article Number Nine was because usually on on studio albums by recording artists and bands and whatnot, you know, Track mm-hmm. Nine was was usually one of the best tracks and you know yep. um and so the 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 lines here where it talks about in theory and upon paper this apparatus power seeming uh, amply sufficient for all general purposes you know and then later on very different nevertheless was the experiment from the theory it yep. reminded me of the line of uh and this is an obscure reference so bear with me um so the uh, uh hold on i'll have to pull, edit Damn it. Sorry. All right. Here we go. All right. So um, in Alanis Morissette's song entitled One, uh, the last two lines of the chorus are uh, always look good on paper, sounded good in theory. Uh, And that's off of her second studio. uh, No, wait. Not her second studio. um, um, Her second popular studio album, supposed infatuated former junkie. Um, I hope you are not too disappointed to discover that I have no basis upon which to argue with any of your claims there. <laughs> Although this doesn't support my, my nine track theory, uh, as that was track 11, but there were 18 tracks on that album. So proportionally it was about in the same spot. Um, <laughs> you have left me behind in a completely different <laughs> so, universe, but I just read that. And like, for some reason, uh, the, uh, I could hear Alana singing that line pop back into my head. I remember liking that. Um, many Maybe years you should ago. Put that as our, uh, intro or outro music on this particular episode. Well, I don't want to infringe upon any copyrights. I don't know. <laughs> Being the Fair consummate use. attorney that I am. Just take like, 
yeah. several bars. I forget what the uh, what the fair use limitation is. If, you know, how many seconds you're allowed to use without causing a problem? We are um, not. Uh, <laughs> we're not. We're not challenging her intellectual property in any way. <laughs> I intend to. She might be grateful for the publicity. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> anyways, so that's the that's the uh, obscure '90s. Uh, or, or late or you, early aughts. You uh, your promise of an obscure obscure reference. musical references. That's what I try. This is what I try you, to bring to the paperless. You do not it, disappoint. It's in the that obscure regard. musical reference uh, that that <laughs> no one would ever think to relate to the <laughs> to the Federalist Papers other than myself. Uh, apparently. Well, how about this? Then? How about we uh, again? This is the this is part of this is part one of a three part trilogy, talking about these other republics. So I think we could leave things yeah. as they are now. Yeah. And in papers t- in, the, in the next two episodes, mm-hmm. um, we'll revisit some of these themes. I think we have a guest coming on next episode to explore the wonders of the German principalities with us. Mm. Um, and then we'll be doing the Dutch on our own. Okay. We'll be going Dutch. We're going Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> But right. uh, for the All time right. being, we're and uh, we're uh, we're we're not we're not completely impressed. I think I think no, we're going to go yeah. a little bit uh, making a, the not impressed face here. I will, yeah, I will say if this is a mic drop, I am underwhelmed. Like, no. okay, <laughs> this is like so, a mic trip, and the they, and the mic fell out once the guy hit the ground. Yeah, That's what yeah, it is. like he knocked the microphone stand over. You know, kind of thing. And it, if I was Madison, <laughs> I would not want my name on this paper. I'd be like, "This is all Hamilton." It's all Hamilton. Yeah, all Hamilton. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't think this one worked its way into the musical. I mean, I haven't seen the musical yet, but no. I, I'm assuming it didn't. You know, um, so <laughs> I don't think we're. I don't recall any any pieces about German principalities either. But not to go re-listen. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, all right. Well, let's uh, get out of here. Yeah, man. we'll let's get out of here. On, and, uh, and thanks for joining, Carrie, as always. Um, and we'll see everybody next uh, next time on uh, the Paperless Fairless uh, with uh, paper number 19. Thanks again. German principalities! <laughs> All right. See you then. See you then. Goodbye.